Welcome to the Ripple of Change podcast, searching for our quadruple aim, where we highlight, celebrate, and extol others creating positive change in healthcare and beyond. I am super excited for today's episode, so you're just going to have to bear with me as we get through a couple of these introductions, because I think they are super important for today. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Otten. Today's topic is architecture and medicine collide. I'm joined by two incredible human beings, both who I consider very good friends, my co-host, Jeffrey Johnson, and our guest, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the third eye doctor. Today is going to be a unique intersection of minds where the realms of vision and space converge. Haider is a remarkable figure whose expertise spans the fields of ophthalmology, psychotherapy, and personal development. Today, we're going to explore how our respective professions, one shaping the physical world and the other of the human spirit intertwine in their quest to create environments that not only stand the test of time, but also nurture the soul. So let's embark on this journey together, peering through the lens of design and healthcare to uncover the profound ways in which our surroundings shape our lives and well-being. Jeff, the floor is yours, my friend. Uh, that was really good. Um, thank you. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Jeff Johnson. I'm your co-host today. I'm an architect by trade, um, but I feel like I'm a little bit outmatched today. Uh, I oftentimes introduce myself as a project psychiatrist or a design optometrist, uh, oftentimes taking that uh, very sensible approach to project leadership and taking a an approach where we're constantly evaluating uh, aesthetics relative to personal preference uh, and intent in architectural design. So while I've realized that uh, I normally introduce myself to university clients and there are really no doctors or ophthalmologists in the room, I know for sure now that I'm outmatched. So if all else fails, I won't use those words again, and perhaps I fall back on um, my self-proclaimed roles, such as design provocateur or the keeper of sticky notes. Why don't we get started? Haidar, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to meet you. We'll kind of go through a bit of background information just to give uh, a bit of level setting of who you are, what makes you tick, and where are you going? So if we can get started, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Todd, for having me on the podcast today. Yes. Well, I mean, that's a very complicated question. I haven't got the answers to that uh, yet, but there's something along the lines that I was born in Iraq um, in a religious and political family. And I think those are the major strings in my makeup. Um, you know, those sort of three facets of politics, religion, and Iraq. Um, we had to leave Iraq in 1979 because of the um, the regime was against my family. My dad happened to be a, um, a scientist, really. So he did his PhD in Nottingham, um, which is in the Midlands in the UK. Uh, he did a PhD in zoology and marine biology. So I kind of had like four um, schools of thought sort of... Uh, uh, pulling me apart, you know, sort of science and then religion and then politics and then, you know, the whole history and and um, legacy of Iraq. And also I happened to be in, in the UK. So, you know, that kind of 
muddied the waters even more. And I guess I've been, when I was younger, that was a major issue because, you know, what is my identity? Who do I affiliate towards? Because, you know, they're, they're, they're quite powerful. Um, you know, those, those four, well, actually those five forces were sort of pulling me apart, so to speak. And as a teenager, you're sort of messed up anyway. Um, so yeah, it was a turbulent, um, teenage times and I guess my father and my mother pushed me towards medicine, you know, as most Middle Eastern parents do for their children. Um, and yeah, so that was the main purpose in life, uh, to get into medical school. I got into medical school and I thought, hmm, big mistake <laughs> because, you know, we were taught essentially not to bring in politics and religion and nationalism into the equation. It was just protocols and procedures. And that really annoyed me. You know, I was, I was really upset by that, you know, learning medicine, um, in the UK was just about, you know, doing things one way. And I knew there were more than, uh, more than one way of doing things. So that was a real annoyance. So for five years, I was pretty much depressed and not very happy about my career choice. Um, and, you know, the way the system works is that they don't tell you about alternative lives, really, you know, alternative paths. Um, you just put on this um, conveyor belt and that's that. Um, so when I left medical school, I knew I wouldn't be happy in, in the system. And I was trying to find a way out, um, particularly after the hospitals. And I wasn't really prepared to, you know, go and do sort of general practice because of the, um, you know, the notion that it's, you know, not a real specialty and, you know, they're not real doctors. Um, so by chance, um, I got onto a uh, ophthalmology training scheme by chance, uh, not by design. Um, and I liked it because it's sort of a mixture of medicine and surgery, and you don't spend that much time in hospital, mainly in clinics. But the dream was always to kind of rekindle uh, the Iraq dream, to go back home and 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 um, live a life in Iraq. Um, and you know, I've I've always been interested in religion. I've always been interested in spirituality, and I'm always interested in politics. So that was always simmering in the background. Um, and then the opportunity came to go back to Iraq um, in 2004, which I did. And that was a real revelation um, because I saw the other half of my uh, of my existence. I mean, I left Iraq at the age of four. Um, and then I went back at the age of, well, it would be uh, 30 or 29. Um, and yeah, it was awesome because, you know, it's not Western. <laughs> you know, there's no procedures and protocol. It's just you and your tribe and and the whole of nature to sort of navigate and and sort of control um in a humanistic way um so yeah then you know i started my iraq adventure which is sort of a bit of a mix of trial and error and you know my western self saying this isn't right and you know my eastern reality saying well this is right so it's sort of constant Toing and throwing between environment, you know, the outside environment and the internal dialogue. And so, yeah, you know, it, it, it would have been great to have had some kind of psychoanalytical 
sessions when I was going through that sort of east-west secular non-secular turmoil that was going on inside of me um so that was you know that that went on for for a few years and i set up a charity to do ophthalmic work in iraq in 2006 and i'd be going over over six months uh, in iraq um to do ophthalmic work um but i think the real challenge for me was sort of dealing with my sort of spiritual turmoil you know where am I? Where's my real identity? East, West, you know. Where's my real spirit, so to speak? Um, and you know, just trying to deal with the contradictions, um, you know, the internal contradictions, um, you know, because as we know, there is this quite visible dichotomy of existence, um, which is constantly bashed out, um, even today in 2024. Um, but I've, you know, over the years I've found a kind of middle ground and I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, similarities in medicine, you know, where we, you know, we can find a middle ground between what the finances are saying and what our patients are saying. You know, I think that's where the main battleground is sort of finding a middle ground between all this. Sorry for the long answer, but you know, that's okay. it's, that was, it's that's no, no, it's, it's, it, this is, <laughs> this is fascinating. And I, I, you know, to to add add to it a little bit, I suppose, add some complexity. I believe you were a Liverpool fan as well. Is that right? That hey, what's wrong all... with that? You know, come on, I, well, I, I wasn't ju- I wasn't making any judgments either. You know, there are a group of Negefi Scousers, you know, Scousers who live in Negef and you know, they they, they happily call themselves Negefi Scousers. So that's how complicated it gets. Fair enough. I, I, I could I couldn't resist. I heard something about the GPs in there and I was like, I gotta I gotta have some sort of retort to this. <laughs> Jeff, it's all you my friend. And are um talking about the uh sort of identity I uh, wouldn't go as far as saying crisis, but uh the identity uh conflict reminds me that uh boy, you must be uh thinking, how rude is this co host? I haven't even talked about the weather yet. Um, I, I heard in a couple of your podcasts that it's a very British thing to do. Uh, and it seems like you've acclimated well to asking about the weather uh, on your own personal podcast. So I feel like maybe you're um, uh, feeling at home to some degree in Britain. Yeah, so yeah, how, yeah. How I is mean, the weather? Yeah. Yeah. The, as, as you can see behind me, the, the weather is absolutely awesome. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it's great because, you know, you need an icebreaker and just to sort of get the people talking and so on. So it's a very, very British thing to do, talk about the weather. Um, but when I go into work, I never talk about the weather. It's sort of literally, oh, my God, look at the schedule. Oh, my God, we don't have enough staff. We don't have rooms. Look at our budgeting. So usually, you know, in real life, it's, um, it, you know, we always talk about disasters. But on the podcast, because it's... um. You know, it's a relatively artificial environment. You've got to start with the artificial stuff, which is the weather. Um, but as you know, the UK has a very, very variable weather. So, you know, it's always a good talking point to start things off with. Yeah, we're certainly in um, conflict here. 60 degrees the other day and uh, snowing the next and gray for the next couple of months. Well, yeah, in Michigan, yeah, I, they say, sorry, in Michigan, they say, uh, you know, just wait five minutes, the weather will change. Yeah, I mean, I actually hate talking about the weather, to to be honest with you. But you know, when you so do I. when you do it, 
when you're doing a podcast, you're just trying to get the uh, you know the guest comfortable and everything. So that's my kind of purpose um, behind the weather. But personally, you know, I don't give a monkey's about the weather. <laughs> well, and you know, Same. as we're going through this, I, I'm doing my checklist as to who I might consider having back on the on the show, and and Jeff's not getting a lot of good checks here. So <laughs> I don't right, give we'll a monkey's. I don't get a monkey's. Let's see if we can uh, pick it up here then. Um, so. Uh, yeah, uh, forget the weather. Um, it sounds like um, sounds like the struggles, um, based on what I understand with conversations with Todd and reading through the book Ripple of Change, sounds like the struggles of overloaded schedules, not enough space, uh, uh, the struggle of providing what you believe deep down viscerally on uh, patient care is strained by the system. That's not what they consider universal healthcare, right? That's not. It seems like a universal truth across across the pond as well. What do you suppose is is maybe the impetus for the strain? I think it's I think it's culturally accepted that I mean even back home doctors are struggling there as well, um, and I've been to the Far East. Doctors are struggling there as well. So I think it's just the cultural norm that doctors struggle everywhere and it's just sort of part and parcel of the job and um, patients expect you to be struggling and don't have time and to be rude and you know that's what doctors are like um, and it's quite rare I mean particularly back home in Iraq you know it's it's quite rare to see a doctor that's that actually has time for the patient and 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 can be um, you know empathic and actually have good listening skills and 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 uh, be a human doctor so um and i'd say the majority of the times when you see a doctor you know they are in this sort of perpetual um uh what's the word um sort of uh time hungry or human hungry uh individual mm-hmm. um so it's 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 out of the norm to actually see a doctor who has time and can actually spend a bit of time with the patient and be another human being on the other side and and uh, you know have a uh, have a proper conversation um which is why I did the podcast because you can actually take time out and spend as long as you want uh with someone else who's involved in healthcare and can actually learn, uh, learn something so um, maybe that's why it's it you know is popular. Maybe that's why people are listening into the, uh, the these sort of things. Um, but no, I mean it's sort of cultural norm, really. Um, so it's not really so it's outside the cultural norm to see the opposite. Sure. Yeah, there's certainly a high intensity to the individuals that choose healthcare, um, for sure. How do you? How do you? Well, I think sure the cycle stay- ups. I think that's what I could ask. I, I, I wanted think, to wanted to be kind. I think here, that's but, what uh, we are. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. No, no. You know, you know, we are sort of um, recovering psychopaths or sociopaths that have managed to reintegrate into society to a certain extent. But sort of, you know, essentially, we are sort of the fringe of society. Um, you know, the more the more I interact with sort of, you know, other physicians, you know, they're not normal human beings or individuals because of. The, you know the environments that they have to deal with, and the constant decision making, and sort of the life and death situation. So they do have to take on, you know, quite extreme personality traits. 
Um, so, um, yeah, amazing that they keep going. I mean, you know, that's my yeah. kind of analysis of things. It's like, wow, you know, they're still functioning. They still look like human beings. They still sound like human beings, but sort of deep inside, they're pretty much dysfunctional psychopaths or sociopaths. Yeah, so you know uh, we are part of the three percent. You know we are oh part my of the three percent. There is so, there, the, there is so much to unpack <laughs> there. Like I, we, you thought I was a might, nice guy, though, uh, didn't you? you no, thought, I uh, no, I I love talking to you. I in fact I love doing these podcasts, and I agree with you. I think there's a lot of catharsis in it. You know, it's sort of talking out some of these feelings and emotions with your colleagues and your friends and what have you. Um, you're you're right. I, it is the job is difficult to say the least. And I think, you know, in our training, we're thought to compartmentalize and, and put all that stuff in a box. And I often say it's, it's all well and good and, until it isn't. And I think that's leading to the, this huge problem we have with burnout and mental health issues and the, you know, the deaths by suicide and what have you. But on the other side, I've also seen, you know, the magical side of medicine, um, you know, I loved seeing patients. I, it was a treasure for me. And, and I'm actually considering going back and doing a little bit of uh, direct primary care. And I have been in those situations where it can work. Um, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of good leadership. It takes a, the right culture. Um, and interestingly enough, I think, you know, I've seen some of the work that Jeff has done, um, in Michigan and just some beautiful buildings that have been renovated. And as I went into one and, and just how it made me feel as, as an example, I, there's a, there's an old, what was it? A, a steam power factory. Jeff was the one I went into recently. Um, what's the name of the building yeah, again? The decommissioned power plant, um, for the STEM teaching and learning facility at Michigan state. In Hyder, it is, it is gorgeous. I actually, um, it's a mixture of, of new and the old and, and light and open spaces and warm feelings and all those things as opposed to, you know, as I write about in the book, the cold, sterile, white, artificial, illuminated stuff that we all are acclimated to, particularly in our training. I mean, that in and of itself is, is you know, along the lines of psychopathic, really just put us in a straitjacket and throw us in a call room, right? Um I yeah, I mean, it'd be lovely to 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 look at these um, spaces and these architectural spaces, so that you know one can copy them, so to speak, you know, into their own, you know, into my own clinical uh, setting. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you come to Nejef, we've got some amazing shrines and amazing mosques, and I've just an epiphany that you know we we should be actually doing clinical work in these places of, of, of worship, in these places of spirituality. I mean, you know, what's to stop us from doing that? You know, I know there's the whole regulation and safety issue, but I think that's the downfall of medicine rather than, you know, the thing that will, will actually save us and our patients, yeah. uh, in terms of healing them from their, um, you know, from their health worries and problems. Yeah, I think, um, when you, when you take a look at the, uh, uh, the balance of, of space, policies, procedures, rituals, um, and put it all together, you can create an entire experience. And I think when one of those items are out of balance, um, it starts to cause 
problems and challenges. So while you're right, I think the the healing nature of some of the greatest pieces of architecture could be the exact thing that we need, what falls out of balance if if we choose to do that. And I feel like there's this sort of pendulum relative to sort of a copy-paste. This is what we've done in the past. This is the easy model that we understand the pro forma. We can just implement this type of building and we know that it performs this way for the individuals that use it and reasonably can expect the same result. And who's taking the the sort of risk and jumping toward um, the new paradigm in either space, procedures, techniques, um, uh, geographic boundaries and the like. Um, so as I, as I read Todd's um, book, Ripple of Change, I couldn't help but think um, of the joy of hearing about the high-performance clinic and the culture that he was able to uh, implement within that, within that facility. And um, I think it was a combination of things like laugh out loud jokes, you know, uh, non-traditional ways of interacting with staff and um, patients that really break that paradigm and shift toward uh, meaningful change. And I can't help but think how space in architecture also can either support that or create a constraint, but also thinking of that moment when uh, the announcement of Todd going back to a previous location, that architecture, that space, those memories are visceral to a point where it elicits um, physical uh, stress and, um, and the like. So I'm curious always about how space in architecture can enhance experiences that encourage the behaviors that we're looking forward toward promoting and how our healthcare facilities could potentially um, improve that experience overall. So, uh, for yeah, I mean, I've I had, yeah, I mean, I've had a similar experience um, at work. I mean, I've been in the same sort of workspace, so to speak, over the last decade now. And um, for me personally, I think it's more of an internal architecture space. So, you know, what is my internal architecture like? And that's developed over the years quite significantly. Um, and I found that, you know, if the internal architecture is in a good place, then the external has less of an effect on me. I mean, it does have an effect, but not as significant um, um, as I thought it would. Uh, and, you know, as I've climbed up the um, leadership hierarchy, I found that that's even more important, that my internal architectural space, you know, if it's in a good place, then the rest of the team have, well, I mean, I don't know sort of the internals of their workings, but yeah, I think their internal architectural space is actually different as well. Um, and, you know, that's because of life events in my life, you know, you know losing my father and um, having near-death experiences and having my own health challenges. Um, you know, that's changed my internal furniture and internal architecture. 
and um, you know that's allowed me to look at things in a totally different way and and categorize things externally in a totally different way. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if the architecture, the external architecture, can bring in the other aspects of human existence, including spirituality, including uh, you know the metaphysics of life, I think it would bring um, you know that extra dimension into the whole uh, human healing experience. Yeah, I, I see. I see architecture as one of those opportunities to sort of enable um, experiences. And it really is that opportunity to uh, open up the freedom of those experiences as opposed to having a constraint. Like if we wanted to throw a, a massive party and we only had a little tiny room, obviously that doesn't work, but um, enabling the the opportunities for the behaviors to occur um, is definitely an important thing. Todd, what were you going to say? I, well, I... Th- I'm blown away by just some of the the comments that that Hyder made, you know, in terms of the internal architecture. And I'm going through some stuff right now where that's very much on my mind is is how do I work on my internal architecture to get it to a better place? And the work that Jeff does, you know, I've seen how that could help that. You know, I just wanted to give really one example, and then I'll throw it back to you, Jeff. The, the building that we were talking about earlier, the egress. You know, you think of a standard egress you know, exit, right? The stairs down, it's that cold, you know, there's cement walls. I'm I'm putting my hands up. No one can see me. This is ridiculous. This is audio. Um, So there's those cold white walls, you know, there's no light, you know, and nobody uses them, right? But in the building Jeff remodeled, it's almost all glass. And the one other side is, is wood. And the number of people utilizing it as, as opposed to getting on the elevator or what have you was, was tremendous. And I was there like some weird hour where nobody was on campus and it made you feel good. And literally I was just walking up and down the stairs. That's the kind of thing that, you know, why can't we get more of that into healthcare? Um, I think it would help. So I just wanted to add that. That's all back to you, Jeff. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, so Haidar, as, as you um, think of like stress reduction and and the like, um, we we think that architecture and um, the sort of aesthetics and the way that the buildings are built, the way that natural light comes into the space, and the way that um, it embraces a biophilic uh, sort of approach could be really important uh, based on your own experiences. Um, can you describe maybe a space that you were in or a moment you were in? And then, so if you think of the moment that that was like this sort of blissful moment, what was the space around you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was thinking of having sex and orgasm. You know, that's like very blissful. Right. That's the first thing that came what, into my What type mind. of sheets? <laughs> it doesn't matter, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's, that's funny. What, yeah, yeah, that's so blissful, and and I think the architecture didn't really matter at all. Um, but can we replicate orgasmic sexual? Uh, you know, I, I guess you can in a certain way. You know, I'm sure there's lots of tantric experts out there that can introduce some sort of tantric techniques um, ethically and and you know within the procedural uh, confines of 
clinical practice. Um, there are a couple of actually organizations, if anyone's interested. That, that I was just thinking, I'm it. like, there's got to be somebody out there that's already working on this. I'm going to make sure I don't yeah, so, um, so, yeah, so, I mean, you know, more within the clinical setting, you know, we, we what I really enjoy at, at work is sort of having our a break. So, you know, we have an hour's break um, in between an eight-hour shift, and that's the best part, um, you know, of our clinical situation or, you know, clinical setting where we just get together as as a whole group. And I'm kind of family-orientated as well. We were, I'm really close to our, um, you know, other ophthalmologists and other allied healthcare professionals um, at a personal level. And, you know, it's just like coming together and having dinner and just unwinding, you know, from four hours of intense clinical work. Uh, and it's great. And it's it's really fun. You know, we close the door as well behind us because language gets very colorful. Um, you know, we create sort of comedy scenes uh, about certain clinical situations. And, yeah, we sort of eat together, laugh together, cry together and, and you know, just just be, you know, one big dysfunctional family which is which is what i have and i've always come from um and then the worst part is is sort of having to go back and you know go to war again so to speak but you know that's always great fun um you know knowing that we can actually unwind and you know be our normal selves again um and you know so, sometimes some of the staff uh, you know uh they have to spend, you know, another 10, 15 minutes seeing patients and so on. And then they can hear us all laugh in the other room. And, you know, even the patients start commenting, you know, what, why is there laughter here? You know, particularly, you know, of the certain, what do they call them, Karen or Ken types, you know, they get quite upset about that, that, you know, clinical sessions shouldn't have laughter and joy and, and fun and things like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a real proponent of injecting laughter, um, officially in these sessions and, and also in between, you know, uh, official clinical settings. Um, yeah, we do have a good laugh and very colorful language and not particularly politically correct. So, yeah, we do a lot of that in our daily work activities. I, I uh, very much had a similar type of culture in the quote unquote office utopia, my uh, office uh, pretty much looked like a flea market um, with little trinkets and Spider-Man stuff and Legos that people had given me. And at one point, the the nurse practitioners had put this huge rainbow unicorn above my desk, and I think it stayed there for a better part of a year. You know, but it was it was a space that, despite its you know having no windows and being bland. But you, you felt comfortable to come in and sit down. There was a coffee table. There was a couple chairs. And a lot of times the four of us would cram in there and talk about cases and laugh and, and go over things and, <clears throat> you know, and just be human beings. And that is so important, no matter what you're doing, um, to be able to let your guard down like that. Um, I mean, it what? gets us through the day. I mean, it gets us through the day. You know, that's literally what gets us through the day. Yeah, and and it and in many spaces, um, particularly in healthcare, it, it's absent. It's completely absent, and I I think it shows, and that's unfortunate. Maybe let's do. I'll do a, a quick ripple challenge question here, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll give it back to Jeff to 
to continue on with this fascinating conversation. So there's really no rules to this. I'm going to ask uh, you to pick between uh, two architectural uh, styles. So why don't we start with Jeff, Art Deco or Victorian? Not a fan of either. Um, oh, this is great then. What a great question. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, uh, boy, I'm, I'm going to go with Victorian. Um, I think when it's done well, it's a little bit um, gingerbread house. Uh, but if if you see it done well um, in its historic renovation, I, I could get behind that. If somebody's putting decorations in that on a brand new building, trying to replicate the style of the past, not so much for me. How about you, Heider? Uh, Art Deco, definitely. You know, I don't want to be stuck in a prison and and just getting depressed. No way. You know, there's lots of colors and lots of weird stuff in there. And, you know, I'll let my imagination take over. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on uh, the Art Deco. And, and I went on an architectural tour in Chicago. Uh, they have a ferry that takes you through the city on the river. And they're pointing I like out fairies. All- I like fairies. If there's a ferry involved, I'm all for that. Uh, it was it was fantastic, you know, just pointing out the all the different buildings. So, anyways, uh, all right, Jeff, back to you, sir. So, like, uh, like a magical fairy or a boat fairy? <laughs> I knew that's where you go. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I'm going to ask a ripple of change question. Um, I've I've heard it before in the podcast, and I'd be very curious to hear. Uh, this um, question answered with this group. Todd, you can't answer the same. You cannot answer the same as you did before. Yeah, two psychopaths can't can't answer the same. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Dive into one of your other personalities and answer this one. Um, What's your favorite superhero? Am I going first? Sure. I can't answer the same. I always liked Wolverine. Oh, Wolverine's awesome. I, I don't know if you know who Wolverine is. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The adamantium skeleton, super healing powers. He had the, you know, the claws that he could pop out of his hands. I mean, he's kind of a badass. Okay, Wolverine. Hydar, how about you? Can, can I have two? Can I have two? You, you, you can definitely have two. So, I mean, normally I'd say um, Batman, but these days I like a dark Superman, you know, a Superman that has gone bad. Mm. Yeah, it's certainly a trend these days. You know, that's like my number one at the moment. You know, that's something that really I, I'm I'm drawn towards. Um, or a Joker that's that has a bit of a heart, something along those lines. <laughs> this is so good. Oh, my gosh. That was wonderful. I love it. Okay, um, that's three. I mean, that's unfair. You know? Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I'll just sit just here and rolling with it. I, I'll say you can just keep listing them off if you've got more. That was fantastic. <laughs> um, going back a little bit to, um, I don't want to say you're as uh, spread out as as Todd because I don't know that just yet. But Todd has. Uh, fingers in a lot of different things from investments to collectors items to medicine to podcasts now and speaking engagements and apparently he likes uh, football as well um 
but uh, relative to the amount of things that you're attempting to try and do in life, and given the fact that there is a finite amount of time that's unknown, how do you prioritize and focus to make sure that you are making a difference? Um, I think number one for me is sort of internal energy. You know, if, if something gives me energy, I know it's in the right track. Um, and if something is draining me, I know I'm on the wrong track. So um, that's like a simple way of, of saying it. So I'll give you an example. Um, if Arsenal win and Todd gives me a message, we, we sort of interact in the sort of the goodness of that. Yeah, I know that's a winner. I know that's an absolute winner. No, no, no matter what I'm doing, I'll, I'll always drop everything and say, nice one, mate, good stuff. You know, if if it raises my spirits, then I'm all for it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've got all sorts of things going on at the same time, but um, I'm 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 quite good at saying no now, whereas before it was much more difficult. Now I'm really good at saying no, and I tend to say no to most things because I know it's not for me, even though there are these other things that say it's a reward or it's a, a thumbs up or makes you lots of money and so on. Sure. So to me, there seems to be another pandemic, um, not necessarily the COVID pandemic, but um, now I don't know the numbers and certainly talking out of turn here a little bit, but there appears to be a pandemic in mental health and overall wellness of individuals. Um, what, what do you think the cause might be broadly and could you describe maybe a few techniques from your sort of personal um, development practice of what you would recommend to an individual trying to uh, come out of a funk or uh, really um, uh, trying to become more well yeah, I mean, I don't want to sort of spend hours talking about this, but I, I say generally speaking in sort of simple terms, it's sort of lack of connection and loneliness on a humanistic level. I think that's that's the reason why people have delved into their um, thoughts and, and their dark psyches and, you know, that can take you to some horrible places. So that's my sort of general answer to that. And, to you know, the way to get out of it is how we got out of it when we were younger is sort of go and see your mates and, you know, have a fight or, or play together or go and do something. And, yeah, just reconnect with um, with other human beings in the flesh better than virtually. Um, but if you can't do it in the flesh, then virtually. And if you can't do it virtually, then over the phone. So um, reconnecting with other human beings because our mental health is predicated on um, our social interactions. So the more you um, are social and the more that you interact socially with other human beings, the more likely you are to regulate your um, uh, mental well-being. Yeah, but that, I mean, we have a renovation in our office right now, and a lot of individuals are challenging us of why we're spending dollars in a physical space, especially for an office um, environment where there's a lot of pressure or uh, flexibility of workplace, uh, working remotely in the lake. Um, there's a lot of convenience that way, but we're certainly seeing that exact same thing that you just mentioned, the lack of social social working 
together, the collaboration, the sort of interaction on a day-to-day basis, just to tell your buddy to piss off because they, uh, their football team beat yours or whatever it happens to be. No, um, just for being an asshole, you know, I mean, right, you're exactly. an asshole because, you know, because internally you've got all this asshole stuff that's going on in your head and you need right. someone else to say, look, you're being an absolute asshole, <laughs> sort yourself out uh, and then yeah. you can stop, yeah, being an asshole and you'll make the wrong move decision. On, move on with your day, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, down the pan you go, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's uh, That's fantastic. <laughs> Um, I can tell that you God's have. Great. What the fuck's going on here? <laughs> no, no, I just this is great. This is this is absolutely why you know with this with this new format of having like the guest co-host with the host, you know, and and hide our. You just sit there laugh. Yeah. Oh yeah, I don't have to do anything. I could fuck this thing. Let people go back and forth. I'm trying to pair up people who I think are going to have a great time, and I just sit here and. and like, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, this this is perfect. So it seems like you have some, it seems like you have some deep connections, um, like the rest of us with some of your buddies that, uh, you can be very open, transparent and, you know, joke around with, um, who was your best friend as a kid? Best friend as a kid was a chap called Mojo. His name's Mohammed, really great guy. Um, but he's really annoying. He's an absolute <laughs> annoying asshole because he always had an answer to whatever I said and it really annoyed me so he was my best friend because all the other friends I had you know I was too clever for them or whatever maybe too manipulative too psychopathic and so on but this guy always said no this is this this is that and it sort of kept me sane and kept me on on the straight and narrow and we used to go to to the gym together and um and he was an honest bloke which is what I loved about him um and I guess, yeah, it's sort of finding my own honesty in this sort of <laughs> world. And you sort of kept me on the straight and narrow, which, um, but since then, you know, I, I sort of contact him every now and then, and he still annoys me, but I avoid him now because <laughs> you he's know, so I'm married with kids. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, I'm sort of married with kids. I've got other priorities and so on. But when I was a kid, you know, it was nice to know there was someone there that would tell you it like it was and. And, um, yeah, he was, a he was a decent guy. So yeah, yeah, he was my best mate. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. It's always good to have a friend that can keep up with you for one yeah. and be honest. And you understand that they are coming from a good spot that even though you're being told what you don't want to hear, you know, that it's probably what needs to be said. So, um, Todd and I often have that kind of relationship of being able to kind of go back and forth from a, um, philosophical standpoint from, you know, what's going on in the world, why is it happening? You know, those, those types of things. And, you know, we can ease each other, uh, to a point where it doesn't get terribly serious and we know that we, uh, are coming from a good spot. So, well, Heiner, it, it now makes sense why all my friends call me an asshole. Yeah, which one more, the arse or the hole? <laughs> depends on depends. It depends on the friend. <laughs> it's actually the whole ass. Yeah, the whole ass. at times I think we're I think we're all there, right? Uh, oh my gosh, this is no. I mean, my best, you know, my best new friend now is the wife because she's taken over. She fucking tells it like it is. I'm unfucked every single time. I'm like, okay, I understand. 
and off it goes. This, this is fantastic. You know, I, I think we I think we possibly have have hit about the the time frame for for the show, and and so I want to make sure I, I I touch on some of the work you're doing and some of the work you've done, and uh, you know, obviously give you a chance to impart maybe one more thought, really on whatever you want, because this has just been a brilliant conversation on many levels. And I respect and appreciate both of your inputs today. I can see this conversation being continued down the road, to be quite honest with you. Um, maybe you we'll won't have a, a good laugh. At, well, well, no. You won't is, have a good laugh at our expense, isn't it? Yeah. Well, okay. Maybe that's part of it. Sure. But <laughs> there's there's been some pure gold in this, right? You know, people, well, when you sit back and listen to other individuals, you know, from the, from the different perspectives, there's so much learning to be had. You know, there's so much healing that can occur. And I'm in a place right now where I'm trying to work on a little bit of self-compassion. Um, yeah. and, and and this conversation has been helpful for me uh, on that level. And so I thank you both for that. So I want to make sure that people are aware where to find Jeff. He's on LinkedIn. And then his company is IDS, uh, which is... Um, Integrated Design Solutions. Thank you. I was feeling nervous, so I was freaking out there for a second. And then Haidar, his book is great, Physician on Fire. I recently read it. I loved it. It's just a unique spin on life and how you can think about things and, I, and his journey. It's really a beautiful story. So if you want if you want a fun read, definitely check it out. And his podcast, The Surgical Spirit, is absolutely wonderful. Having been a guest on it, it was a, it was a treasure. It was a joy. Having said that, my plug is obviously Ripple of Change, the book. And then we're working on our audiobook, uh, which you can find on Patreon for a small monthly subscription fee. And the interesting part of that is there's going to be a lot of other content that's going to be coming through there as well. So if you're interested, that's www.rquadrupleaim.com. And then I'd like to offer you one, uh, maybe 30 seconds for a final thought, uh, and then I'll wrap it up. Uh, who would like to go first? Any preference? I can, I can start, I guess. I, I absolutely appreciated the conversation, Haidar. Uh, thank you so much for your insights. Just one plea to uh, everybody out there. Notice the architecture and the space around you. Oftentimes it becomes a backdrop for memories. And when you really start to analyze the space that you're in and the experience that you're having, wonder whether or not the space is creating that feeling or whether the experiences and how they intertwine with each other. So just a plea for uh, recognizing architecture and the role it has in um, society today. Thank you, Todd, and thank you, Jeff, for this opportunity to, to sort of speak my mind. And um, I, I decided to go back to Iraq later this year, so uh, permanently. So just to let everyone know that Iraq's still open for business, and if you want to be involved in Iraq, uh, get in touch with me. There's lots of opportunities there. Thank you, guys. Oh, this is great. I have one question about that, Haidar, and thanks for sharing. Uh, do you have to use an EMR there? Electronic, What's that? Electronic, What's that? electronic, <laughs> electronic medical record. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. What is that? What is that? <laughs> uh, all right. Having said that, uh, again, thank you both. This was uh, truly a pleasure, full of laughs, um, and, and I can't thank you enough. What positive ripple of change will you create today? Grab your copy today. Ripple of Change is available in hard, soft, and ebook formats. 
More information at www.ourquadrupleaim.com. Thanks for listening, and let's turn ripples into waves of lasting change. Stay tuned to this podcast as we search for examples of Our Quadruple Aim.